between brewmasters John Haggerty and Travis Fritz. Enjoy. You know, I, I talk a lot about, um, you know, coming from a trade background, and, and and I don't know if you remember this or not, but, uh, you know, my dad's a machinist. Yep, uh, my that. Yep. father was, or grandfather was career military. Um, uncles are all, you know, diesel mechanics and whatever. Um and that's the kind, and, and from a, a small town in, in in Michigan, which is, as everyone knows, an industrial state. Also, so yep. um, growing up around uh, trade workers, um, what meant growing up around uh, men and women, uh, but primarily for me, men who, um, primarily men who took that shit really seriously. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, and this is how you do it, right? This is how you do it, right? Yeah. Don't do it another goddamn way. Somebody has already figured this out, right? right. This is the best way you do this. Um, and 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 finding, you know, more importantly, as you grow older and you're a teenager, um, that there are people who will tell you that this is the way you do it who are wrong, and yes. identifying what those people are like so that you can kind of, you know, well, you know, look. Uh, uh... There's a couple other breweries that are in that mix that we didn't talk about that I that I've worked for that were like those people, right? They right. were wrong. Right. 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 And uh, you know, those experiences are valuable too, right? Oh, in absolutely. Some ways, in some ways they're more valuable. Oh, 100%. Um, because you know, it's it's one thing to know what to do. This is the right way to do. But there's another thing to be like, hey, I know that's wrong. And I know where that takes you, right. and I'm going to avoid touching that third rail, right? right. I'm not going to do that. I've already seen what that does, right? And it just it just saves you from having to relearn that mistake. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, right. And and that that is an important skill. What was 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 my point, right? That you, yeah. um, it's a. Re I mean, if if there's a path to mastery that I could identify, um, that would be a big part of it, right? Yeah. Um, and you know that I worked at Michigan Brewing Company and 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 Atwater and Arcadia, um, and a lot of breweries that have fundamentally changed or are closed. Yep. Um, and you know my full history with Michigan Brewing Company, which is you know fraught. Um, but uh, you know, having had those experiences, I mean, shit, I met George Murphy at Arcadia. That guy's a great brewer. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Murphy's awesome. Uh, you know, and I think all of those places had things that they were doing that were positive. Yep. But they also had things that they were doing that weren't phenomenally. Right? And, you know, ultimately it was those things that they were doing that weren't positive that led to their undoing. Right. Well, right. And I mean, it was um, you had said, you know, you told the story about New Holland uh, when, whenever you had said no. Right. To doing something that you knew was wrong. Um, and I, you know, whether I'm speaking of those breweries or, or, or others, um, 
you know, what I saw was a kind of a spiral of disorganization, which turned into desperation, which yeah. turned into consistently poor decision making, uh, which turned into truck chasing, uh, what I call truck chasing, wherever, you know, you'll open up a new state because you need 19 grand, you got to fill up a truck, right? Um, and, uh, and, and this creates this kind of death spiral that I've seen in breweries, you know, time and time again from starting when I started, right? Because these were, there was a gold rush in the late nineties, mid to late nineties, wherever, I think there was an article in Forbes, right? Um, and it was, I think they called it the new gold rush of craft beer. Yeah. There's been so a, a lot couple of those actually, but right. that, certainly that time was one of them. Yep. Yeah. Well, that was the one I'm familiar with. I was yeah. becoming an adult at that time. And, um, you know, so so we had uh, here in Michigan at that time in a way that I think hadn't happened before. A lot of people who weren't brewers at all um, coming in and saying, well, you know, I'm, I, I know business, so I'm going to teach you Sippies how to do business and, and, and you know, we'll we'll make it happen. Um, with no intention of understanding any of the things that we've now spent two hours and 16 minutes talking about, right? <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And uh, and 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 how frustrating it was to work with and for those guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I agree. You tried to, I mean, at least I did. I would try to identify those guys on the way in, like at yep. the interview, right? Yeah. And be like, okay, I'm not working for that guy. Right. Because I've done it. Right. Right. That's right. just one of those things that you you learn by experience. I know what that's going to lead to, and I don't I don't want to do that again. Right. Right. Um, so there's life lessons, right? But I mean, you look at successful breweries and there are exceptions to this, but look at successful breweries. And I mean, breweries that are healthy in 2022, right? Yep. There are substantially fewer than there were in say 2019, for example. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, here, uh, I mean, that's probably true. Uh, mm -hmm. But here in Ohio, we haven't really seen too many bite the dust. There's been a few, uh, yeah. but not- Not more than normal, not, you'd not say? Many. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I know a lot of folks here in Michigan are, are struggling and it has to do really with reorganization um, that, that chains have experienced with their sets uh, more than anything. Yeah. Um, and so it's become difficult for breweries who relied on uh, consistent new releases and a broad array of products uh, to continue to do that because the space uh, for a lot of breweries has been minimized at those at those chains. Yeah. Um, that's not happened for us. And anyway, we don't have all that many labels. We have flagships. We do that more traditionally. Um, well, and that's but, thing, I think just on that note, I mean, your flagships ought to be what's in the Kroger or the right. Meyer or the whatever box store you're selling yeah. to. Yeah. Your one-offs ought to be in your taproom. Word. Or a, a gifts to independents who perform well to you right. or whoever, right? Exactly. Um, and, and we do that. Right. I mean, we release all the time, but that's a that's a force of, you know, hey, man, we had this idea and it worked and we wanted to do it again. But Meyer's not ready to take it. I mean, they probably would, um, but they're not set up to do so. And we're not going to bother with it. Right. So this is for independence. Right. Yep. Um, and, and it's a way to build those relationships. But in any event, my, my point was, I suppose, that if you look at at successful breweries and let's talk about Bell's. Um, we can talk about, uh, you know, Sierra Nevada. We can talk about New Belgium. We can talk about Warped Wing uh, and, and and maybe even Old Nation where those breweries are started and then run by brewers, right? Um, and, and brewers to varying degrees of, of expertise, for sure, particularly guys that started earlier in the 80s. 
Um, but who then were smart enough, like Larry, to collect somebody like John Mallet, for example, yeah. and trust him. Yeah, Mallet's right? whip smart. Yep. Whip smart. For that matter, you know, uh, I, I think uh, and Alec Mall. Uh, Dave will tell you, Ingers will tell you, and, and all those guys will tell you, uh, they were about to go belly up. And, uh, you know, they made some decisions to get themselves reoriented financially, but then they hired Alec Mull, yep. right? And Alec is the guy that made that happen. Absolutely. Right? Because they put a guy in charge of the production plant that knew what the hell he was doing. Yep. And they trusted him, right? And they let um, him do his thing. To lead, not just to be a brewer, right? Yes. yes. Um, and, and, uh, and, 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 and that is, um, you know, I think the ability to lead like that comes with experience. I think some people have um, the ability to lead, but not the skill to do so. Um, and again, you know, talking about, you know, the context I grew up in and, and tradesmen and all that kind of stuff, I think um, I talk a lot about beer being brewing, being a trade, right? That it needs to be looked at, uh, that it's useful to look at it as a trade first, right? Yes. Well, it is. Uh, it, of course it is. But I think that that it's not, people don't, a lot of folks that come into the industry are not in that mindset. No, um, well, they're they're like you said earlier. They're on the business side. They don't expect sure. to be doing the actual brewing. They right. expect to be making the money, or or creative and artistic, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and and all those things are good and necessary, um, but it always has to come back to for me uh, in my brewery. Uh, it always has to come back to trade trades work. Um, and 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 whether or not Josh Rake is a great example. The guy I talked about, Scott Brewery in Muskegon now. He knew what he was doing, right? He came yeah. in, got a job, was, nobody called it this, but was an apprentice, right? And worked under some good brewers um, and then started bouncing around from brewery to brewery to learn from different masters, which they didn't call it this, but that's what being a journeyman is. Um, and is still a, a journeyman and understands that, but is set out um, on his own path. Um, and I see that happening in Michigan, at least less um than it than it used yeah. to um well, it's, it's interesting i think that is a somewhat of a byproduct of the fact that you know the job opportunities aren't as plentiful as they were 20 or 30 years ago sure. right uh when i was doing this and when you were coming up you know people were always looking for people in their plant Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, worst case, you'd have to wait for the spring, right? When everybody moves. Yeah. I mean, yeah. more or less. I mean, just like the story I told you about being in Madison. I mean, you'd knock on somebody's door and they're like, oh, yeah, great. Come on in. You've got a job. You can start today. Right. Yeah. That is just, it's not the case anymore. And it makes it harder for some of these guys. And I'm not saying they would do it if they had the opportunity, but some of them might. Right. right? And it's just harder. It's harder to move from place to place because the, the jobs aren't sitting there waiting for you, right? Right. right. Um, and then, of course, you know, I was fortunate uh, that, you know, I was single, I didn't have a family and so forth. It allowed me to make those decisions sort of unilaterally without consequence. I only had to worry about myself. Right. Uh, and for you, uh, similar, I mean, you had been married, uh, but you didn't have kids and you know, so it was easier uh, yeah. to do those things. You know, well, some, I got guys that work for me now, like one of my brewers out on paternity leave because his wife's having a baby and he's out for the next. I mean, it's like, that's hard. I mean, and I got another guy who's got two little kids and, 
it's hard for those guys to just be like, hey, look, I'm going to throw caution to the wind and just go, you know, do something, right? For sure. People for count sure. on them, right? Yeah. 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 Well, yes, of course. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that maybe maybe it's maybe it's chance maybe it's a kind of happenstance or maybe it is the focus of regardless of generation uh an individual who either has no or is allowing themselves no choice to to do anything else or no choice to fail um that may be you know as important uh, as any other factor that plays into it and i think that um you know, if you got the balls to do it, then you got the balls to do it. And if you don't, yeah. then maybe you don't, you know? I, look, I, I agree. It, <laughs> I mean, at some point when you get to the point where it's like, I got to go do it for myself. Right. Like, you know, that's different. Right. 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 Uh, but on the way up, you know, the job hopping thing, I mean, to me, you know, I would, I would recommend to anybody, you know, two or three years, and you're probably ready to move on to another group. Yep. I, I probably taught you 90% of what I know at this point, and that last 10% is going to be really hard to wring out of me because it's so obscure. Yep. It doesn't come up. I don't think to talk about it. Uh, you know, so you, you've kind of got it. And if it ever comes up for you, if something comes up, then you call me. Like, what do you What do you think about this? Uh, you know, and it, it, you know, and it's not like I'm trying to kick anybody out the door either, because oh. you know, life is a lot easier when my good staff sticks around. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but it's also when when someone comes to you and says, man, it's time yeah. for me to move on. Yeah. It's like, absolutely. yes, you're right. It is, man. I want to keep you here, but you yes. should go. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, anybody that's worked for me, and that's sort of the deal that I make with everybody on the way in. You know, we have a long conversation because, uh, you know, well, I'll, I'm going to tell you a story and then I'll, I'll tell you the point. Uh, when I was working at Minbrew, there was this guy that worked with us. I won't tell you his name, although I remember it because George Brown, who was the assistant brewmaster, wanted us to do a particular thing. And this guy had been through a brewing program already, thought he knew everything. Sure. Right. And so he's pushing back on George and he's like, we don't need to do that because of blah, 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 blah. And he's doing it right in front of like the rest of the staff. And I can see George is about to lose it. Yeah. Right. And I look at George. And I'm like, hey, man, don't worry about it. We'll do it. We'll get it done. Yeah. We'll get it done the way you want it. Don't worry. Yeah. about it. George, thank you. And he leaves. And we walk out of the cellar away from the rest of the employees. And I'm like, dude, you don't want to work here, do you? He's like, yeah. what are you talking about? And I was like, listen. The beer coming out of this plant is to the credit of the management of the plant, the brewmaster, the assistant brewmaster, whatever. They're the ones that have to answer for that. Yep. If the beer sucks, that's their problem. If the beer's awesome, that's to their credit. But you know what? You have a job either way. Yep. You're not getting fired. If he asks you to do it that way, fucking do it. You do it that way. Yeah. Right. If you want to debate him about the merits of the way we're doing something, yeah. then you ask for a private meeting, you go in the office and you have the debate. You don't do it in front of the other employees. Yep. Then he and you will make a decision about whether you're going to do it your way or whether he's going to keep you doing it his way. When you walk out of that office, whatever that decision is, that's the way you do it. Yep. End of discussion. Yep. That guy got fired three days later. I'm shocked. Yeah. So, you know, I have that conversation with my staff on the way in. Right. And it's like, listen, I have an open door policy. I want to hear what you think about stuff. I want you to come to me with your ideas. 
Yeah. Having said that, you know, we'll sit there and we'll debate the merits of the idea, how we're going to execute it, if it makes sense for us, if it doesn't make sense for us, you know, why on both counts, and then we'll come to a decision. And then whatever that decision is, that's what we're going to do. Right. And then everybody's going to do it that way because we everybody has to do it the same way. Yep. In order to maintain some modicum of consistency. Yeah. Now, in exchange for you doing that and coming to work, ready to go to work and working hard, so on and so forth, you have my everlasting gratitude. Yep. Right. And that means if you ever want to leave and go work somewhere else or move to the other side of the country, I will call everybody that I know yep. in that community and help you get a job. You want to move yep. to Denver? Great. Let me call everybody I know in Denver. You want to move to San Diego? Great. Let me call everybody I know in San Diego. Yep. Right. Whatever it is you want. Yep. Right. I will help you get there. Yep. In exchange for that, every time you come to work, you got to give me your best effort. Right. Which is as old as time. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I mean it but, seems like it's a simple equation, right? Right. right. It's but not. That it's not. Not everybody understands that. And it's like, but here's the expectation, right? Because right. if you don't get your best effort, you're not going to work here. Right. And then I'm not going to feel obligated to do anything for you. Right. And right. you're on your own. Yeah. I, and we've had, you know, we've had not many, thankfully, but we have had, you know, one or two guys that have come through, you know, big dick in their way through on the way to somewhere else. Yep. Um, and what they get is a is a nickname that they probably wouldn't like if they knew they had it and a uh, see you fucking later in a couple of months when they leave. Right. Right. Um, and they and I think they're on because I don't have that conversation with my staff. I I act in a way that I think it it's clear um, right. and uh, and I don't have any retention problems. And I no. also and, and I also don't have situations where because I have such good managers and Marcus Dixon and Nate. Um, and, and the folks that work even underneath them, um, where they would, you know, they're happy to kick somebody in the shin if they start, you know, if they start behaving like that, for example, at a production. Well, meeting. right. But so my thing and the reason I always go through that with people out of the gate is because it's like, look, I'm, I'm going to kick you in the shin. Right. If you don't do it the right way. I'm going to kick you in the chin. So don't yeah. be surprised when it happens. Right. You'll, you'll fuck something up. You've, you've never worked in a brewery before or you've had, got very little experience or whatever. Yeah. Right. Mistakes will be made. Yes. It's OK. It's human. It's nature. OK. It happens. But you will be called to the mat on it. You know, yep. why, why did you do this? You know, let's make sure we get going in the right direction here. It, it, it isn't going to just be swept under the rug. No. There will be an accounting. Right. I want you to be prepared for that because that's not the way it is in some businesses. But yep. here it will be right. You, yep. you, you'll have to explain yourself. Yeah. Um, so get, be ready. If you can't deal with that, then you shouldn't work here. Yep. And let's just avoid it right now. Right. It, yep. this, it isn't about, you know, making you feel all warm and fuzzy. Right. Nope. This is about making the best beer we can make, trying to keep our customers happy. Right. And if we do those things then we're all going to get along. And if we don't, we're not. Right. Well, and I mean, do do I want you to feel warm and fuzzy? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yes, but um, I want you to feel warm and fuzzy because you did your job right, and they told you good job. Right? There it is. Right there it is. And you know, first, I mean, our policy here, an easy way to explain it, which I do explain to the staff, is you know, speaking of mistakes, right? Your mistake might cost me fifty thousand dollars. Right. I want you to be focused on doing the job the way you've been trained to do it. Not on not losing fifty thousand dollars, right? right. Um, if you lose me fifty thousand dollars, I will be upset. 
it's my job to make sure that that my own emotional problem with that isn't transferred to you because the first time you make a mistake, that's my fault, right? Yep. I didn't explain it to you well enough. I didn't train you the way that I should have. That's my fault, right? I agree. Second time you make a mistake, if we have, as you say, this process of accountability and retraining and, and, and sort of talking around the subject and, you know, these are the parameters that you missed, maybe even before the problem happened that caused you to cause this problem. If that's been done and that mistake is made a second time, that shit is on you, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and understand that that shit will be on you. Right? right. And whatever the consequences of that are, are the consequences. They will be legal and they will be moral, yeah. but there will be consequences. Um, and, and, and I don't, you know, I, I'm not the kind of person that I don't make threats. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't see a reason to telegraph my intentions to someone who I intend to affect negatively. Um, but uh, that is something that, you know, it's just it, it's not even fair warning. It's just like, you know, this is the process you can expect. Uh, right. I don't want you to feel right. you know, hip checked by this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, look, I don't think that it's particularly unique in a brewery. No. Or in an accounting office or a bank or where. I mean, I think, you know, managers forever have been behaving as good ones. Right. right. It's like. You know, I'm going to be clear about what the expectations are. Yep. I'm going to be clear about what the consequences are if the expectations aren't met. Right. And I'm doing that right out of the gate. Right. So you can't tell me you didn't know. Which right. is a big, big part of parenting, for example, as well. Um, right. But, uh, you know, good parents tend to be good managers, I think, and vice versa. Um, but, uh, or effective, anyway. Um, but I would say, you know, uh, it, there is a difference for me. Um, and, and this is not... One is not better than the other. It's just something I've had to kind of come to terms with and, and get better at. Um, there is a difference uh, for me between there. There are kind of three realms of business that I tend to be. A realm maybe is a shitty word, but areas of business that I tend to be um, working in consistently. Uh, one is production, of course, which we've spoken about. Um, another is sales, and the other is let's say finance and just capital B business, right? Um, and so there are huge differences oh, yeah. uh, in the way that all of those folks expect to be treated and spoken to yep. and the expectations they have on themselves and their yep. own personal improvement um, yep. and their own understanding. Um, and the farther away you get to production, the farther away you get to that kind of simple straight line of speech. No, right? I, I agree. Running, the, running a production plant, it's like running a kitchen or running a pirate ship. Yep, pirate ship. We say a lot. It's like <laughs> I'm going to be as direct as I possibly can. Yep. Right, because we do not have time to fool around with this. Right. We. This is it. This is what has to happen. Da 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 da. Mm -hmm. If I talk to people on our sales team or our finance team that way, they all go complaining about me. Right. Everybody. Right. Right. You can't tell me what to do. Right. Haggerty's an asshole, and it's like, well, yeah, because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. Right. 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 But the brewery, the guys get it because it's just like, man, we're just trying to get from point A to point B in the most efficient, expeditious manner possible. Right. right. In a situation where no one is personal, sort of, I'm not judging you as a person. Right. It is, and right. In a situation where I make a pledge to you, I will not shit on you unnecessarily. Right. right. This job is hard enough. Right. right. Um, and I, you know, I, I treat, for example, my, my sales staff the same way, right? I'm not going to shit on you unnecessarily, but there are times when your job is going to be hard, right? 
yep. um, just like it is for the Brewers, right? Um, yeah. And when your job is hard, I will have sympathy for you because I've done your job. Um, and when your job is hard, I will understand why it's hard. And I will make whatever concessions I possibly can to make it easier for you. But sometimes it just is that way, right? Yeah. And sometimes there's nothing I can do to fix it for you. Yeah. Well, right? the funniest I had a I had a sales guy one time, and again I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you who, but I had a sales guy yeah. one time come to me and say, "Man, I wish you would just make a beer that would sell itself." I wish you would go fuck yourself. So I said, "I said me too. That way I could fire your ass." Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Well, like, I, I, if the beer sells itself, what do I need you for? Right. And I get that. And not, you know, necessarily with the sales staff I have now, but sometimes, um, you know, talking to sales staffs and, and just being like, well, you know, we just need to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. Right. Like, no, 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 <laughs> no yeah. we don't. Right. Well, XYZ Brewery does that all the time. Look how great they're doing. XYZ yeah. Brewery ha is all over your social media and shit. And that's great. XYZ Brewery made are distributing heavily and made seven, eight, nine thousand barrels last year, and they were not profitable, right? Yeah, yeah. This is what you don't know, right? <laughs> what no, I, 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 I agree uh, with that, and I think um, you got to have a you got to have a plan. You got to have a plan. Too right? expensive to just bring a brand to market and throw it against the wall and be like, oh, we're not going to do that one again. But it has to be, and we do do that sometimes, honestly. Um, but you know, it, it not without some road testing or some real serious feeling from, yeah, you know, consensus from from the company. But um, you know, it's also important. Sales guys don't understand how production works, and production guys don't really understand how sales works, right? In 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 most breweries, I'd say, yeah, um, they understand enough, right, to stay in their lane, maybe, um, but not the kind of day to day burden that comes with either uh, either job. Um, and, and what I hear from sales reps from other companies and, and, and in the history of, of working as a brewer is quite often, you know, well, we, we just need to, you know, we need to get better organized and make a better plan for, for this. You know? So let's let's have a brand calendar where there's a brand every couple of weeks that's coming out. And uh, boy, the distributors will love that and the retailers will really love it, right? That's true. I know that distributors love novelty because novelty is easy to sell. And I know that salespeople love novelty for the same reason. And I know that retailers love novelty for the same reason. And I do yeah. think it's important. I also think it's important. I personally believe that it's important for a brewery to say, this is what we will and won't do and stick inside that fucking box. And I don't mean we will or won't yeah. make this or that style of beer, right? Yes, I, I, I agree. Uh, my old man says you got to know how to block and tackle, right? I love you grab so fucking loop. Right. Yeah. But uh, I think, you know, on the, the one-off novelty variety, uh, it's true. Yes, it is easier to sell something that's new mm -hmm. to a point, right? But when you're coming out with something, say at that clip, every two weeks or once a month or whatever, you know, what starts to happen is that inventory starts to back up on itself. Right. Right. <laughs> the, the first thing you brought out, maybe it sold 80% of what you thought it would do. And then the right. second thing, because it can't get on the shelf in a timely manner, it only sells 70%. And then the third thing is less. So, and then you get to the point where it's like your system is so jammed up. Yep. All your shelf space, all your faucets, you know, there's nowhere to put it anymore. Right. And it doesn't work. Right. right. Um, 
Which is the practical concern, right? But I think the, right. the, the theoretical concern, which is important, it's probably the most important concern in this context, but the theoretical perspective too of just brand, right? Right. It is important as hell to have a brand, right? Right. And what that means is who you are in some certain ways, right? Um, so if, you know, I'll use shorts as an example, and I, I love those guys and I'm always amazed at how much stuff they can they can do and 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 sort of get away with and i'm not saying it's, it's bad beer but just man just a new beer every couple of weeks and and it still you know continues to sell then all of the burden that comes with doing that as you just pointed out you know buying beer back and balancing the books from all of that and making it work which they do it's amazing yep um but the whew, i mean for me that's what shorts is. And they were kind of the first ones in Michigan to really do that. Yeah. Um, and so they can be that that's their identity. And then you got a bunch of breweries that opened up after brew uh, shorts um, who tried to do the same thing functionally. Right. Um, and what we, or breweries that already existed. And I think, you know, maybe a brewery like Arcadia is a decent example, or even Atwater is a decent example where they thought, well, we got to get in on that, that model. And it's just not what they were wired to do. No, uh, I, I agree. But I think the other thing, you know, it, it would be a disservice to shorts to sell them as only being that, right? Because I think they're Huma, you know, does a lot of work for them, you know? Sure. They kind of do They kind of do both. They and, kind of do both. Yeah, they, they kind of do. Um, and I think that, and, and by the way, this is not to impugn shorts, right? No, shorts I know. makes more beer than I do. And I love Scott and Joe and all those guys. Um, it is more to say that was a, that is their identity. Their identity is whoever they are because they were the first to come to the table with that model, right? Yep. Um, and then breweries that kind of tried to follow and abandon the identity that they had in Atwater, traditional German, in Arcadia, traditional English, um, in order to kind of pursue that, uh, tact had difficulty, uh, yeah. real difficulty, because I think they kind of abandoned their, not abandoned, but they, they moved away in the customer's mind from their own brand um, and were left with a looser identity. Well, and, and I, I think, think uh, you know, uh, you know, Tim and uh, what was Rick, I think. Mark. 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 Uh, yeah. Uh, I think those guys did them both they made the same mistake out of the gate, which was they they put too narrow a focus on who they were establishing themselves as a brand, right? Um, you know, we're English or we're German. And it's like, well, okay, that's great, but you're not in England or Germany. You're in the United States and Michigan, and you need to be able to, in this market, you need to be able to paint with a broader stroke, right? right. There's nothing wrong with making German beers and there's nothing wrong with making English beers. But if you limit yourself to that, then you're only going to appeal to a small segment of the beer consuming population. And it makes it difficult for you hamstrung yourself right out of the gate. Right. right. Uh, it, it's like, um, you know, you, you see this now uh, breweries that are like, oh, we only make sour beer. Look, I love sour beer. Me too. I, I got no problem with that. But. I think it's limiting, right? Because there's a very small portion of the beer drinking population that wants sour and they may all come to you for that, but it's really not enough. You're not going to be able to grow your brewery. To, and you know, it, look, if you don't want to grow it, if, if you're happy with 
whatever this thing is. That's fine. Then fine. And maybe that's perfect. Right. But if your intention is to try to grow the brewery into a bigger format uh, by limiting yourself to that sort of notion, uh, you've prevented that from being able to happen. Yeah. Well, I I guess maybe I think you're right. Uh, I also think there are examples, you know, right now in, in Colorado, for example, of, of, of breweries that are focusing are, are, are having a very narrow focus, but the market is different now than it was in, you know, 20 years ago, obviously. Well, right. But I think some of those breweries, uh, like Bierstadt is an example, they make all German beers. Sure. Right. Uh, and they, and they do it really well. And I yes. love going there every time mm-hmm. I'm out there and, uh, it's great, but, you know, they're not going to turn into, you know, uh, Bells or Sierra Nevada or, right. you know, New Belgium. I mean, you're not going to do it with that narrow focus. I think the guy's got a really nice, from what I know of it, I, and, you know, I'm not on the inside, but from what I know of it, I think he's got a really nice business, right? Sure. But it is more or less what it's going to continue to be. Sure. Right. Um, if you want to, if you want to, add volume to that, um, you know, that's going to be a challenge. You're going to have to go out of your area and you're going to have to sell beer styles that everybody else on the planet is making and they don't have that intimacy with your story. It's harder to do. Right. right? Sure. Um, so it, it is what it is. Great. If that's, if that's your goal, that's what you want to be. Perfect. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I'm spending time and, you know, emotional capital and actual capital on, on trying to make a lager work. I think you did it in, in Trotwood. Um, yeah, we've done. So at Warped Wing, uh, yeah, we've done. But we paint with a bigger brush, right? And we're a, we're a smaller brewery. I mean, we're, we're going to do nine or 10,000 barrels of beer or something this year, uh, which is fine. You know, I've been I kind of telling my partner, Nick, since we, we opened in 2014, I was like, look, man, you know, 10 to 15,000 barrels of production. That's a really good fun size, right? Yeah. You're making yeah. enough money that you can kind of do the things you want to do, sure. but it's not such a pressure, right? right? You know, if you screw something up and you need some extra time, it's usually there and you can manage it, right? Yep. You start getting north of 20 or 25,000 up where you guys are at 30, it's like, man, there's no time for anyone to screw anything up. It's yep. going to be perfect every time yep. as the trucks are rolling constantly, right? Yeah. Yep. In fact, I think, uh, well, I'm going to say this and, you know, you know, don't, I don't want you to take it the wrong way, uh, but you're actually in what the Brewers Association considers to be the most dangerous zone. Oh, you can feel it every day. Yeah. Right? Because when you start getting, 25, 30,000 barrels, that jump from there up to say 50 or 60 requires additional technical know-how, right? QC labs got to upgrade and, and mechanical support has got to upgrade and system processes have to upgrade. That stuff all costs a lot of money, right? And it's hard yeah. to pay for that stuff at that size. You're sort of on the front edge of it and so as you as you start to spend the money and invest in that stuff, you got to overpay for what you can afford. Yeah. Right. And yeah. you can make the jump. So you either have to decide, OK, we're going to go for it. Right. We're going to try to become 50,000. Or you got to decide, you know what, we're going to back off a little bit and we're good at 25 or 30. Right. 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 
Well, and I mean, you know, get that right. I mean, even people in our industry don't get that, right? No, no, nobody does. Well, and by the way, you know, if you're at fifteen thousand barrels, the universe will fuck, will conspire to keep you there, right? Yeah. I mean, it it does seem like fifteen thousand barrels. It's it seems like it's you know zero to five. You know, if you know what you're doing and you got a little bit of backing, you can do that. Uh, five to ten. Okay, same thing, right? You can, as you say, you can kind of incrementally self-fund that growth over time yeah. if you have the time to wait, um, which means if you don't have a great deal of debt, frankly. Right. Um, and then from 10 to 15, that happens pretty, at least for us, that happens pretty easily, right? Yeah. You're buying new tanks. You're not buying anything that's crazy or out of the... Uh, but for us, you know, 15 to 20 and then north of 20 was, you know, having a couple of different ways. Uh, where you're, you know, you're, you're, you're buying in things like centrifuges, which is right. expensive. Which, by the way, we have one of those. <laughs> you do. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I mean, but that's, you know, you not, now you have, th those are expensive pieces of equipment, yeah. right? Yes. And, and things to make your packaging line more efficient and more uh, safe. Uh, and you're hiring people, as you say, in QC, and we have the benefit of a university near us. Uh, and the director of the brewing program at Michigan State, apprenticed here. We know her very well, so we have use of, of her folks and her lab. But that may not always last. We may have to spend that money. Um, and we also do contracting out of a contract brewery, which we are by far the primary um, client of uh, in Detroit, which is set up with a lot of, you know, a full lab and, and folks yep. to work in it. Um, and so we grow by those means, but those relationships could sour one way or another, and that happens. Um, and then we're stuck with a lot of responsibility and no way to fulfill it. Um, and, and for us, that's why it's dangerous. It's dangerous for a lot of people for a lot but, of different reasons. Yeah. But that, like that work in the contract brewery, I mean, that is an expense, right? The beer that you make there doesn't make you as much money as the beer that you make in your own plant. Pretty damn close, though. You know? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. And, 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 and the truth is, you know, if I had my druthers, I would park at 20 and that'd be fine. Right. Right. And I, so I think this goes back to sort of what we were talking about earlier, you know, with these guys out of the gate, right. Making these decisions, right. right. Without really any sort of perspective on what the ramifications of those decisions are. Right. Uh, you know, for me, uh, I've been through it a few times, same for you. And so I, I have a notion of what it means to say, Hey, you know, if we're at 10 or 12,000 barrels, what does that mean? If we're at 15, what does that mean? If we're at 20 or 25, what does that, what does that mean? Um, and you need to know that, right? Because it's like, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. right? And do you understand what that's going to entail? in order to get it right. right. Uh, it's also like when you, when you think about, um, I'm, I'm sure you get this. I think most of us do like when you talk to people that are outside the industry, right. And they're asking about your brewery and they want to know whether your brewery is successful or not. They always ask how many States are you in? How many States are you in? Yeah. Right. That's Absolutely. the metric that they use to determine if you're successful or not. And it's like, you guys, it's a totally wrong metric. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, it doesn't matter how many I could be in 50 and losing my ass. That's like asking a bodybuilder how big his shirt is. Right. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's one of those things. And it's like, look, you know, uh, like here at Warped Wing, we've been very intentional about uh, not over spreading ourselves. Right. I mean, probably 
70% of my sales are in Montgomery County, Montgomery and Warren County. Right. <laughs> right. And, right. uh, you know, the rest it's like, well, okay. I go down to Hamilton, which is Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And I have a wholesaler that helps me do that. And I go up to, I, I don't remember the name of the County that Toledo's in off the top of my head. I apologize. We send beer up to Toledo and we really distribute the I-75 corridor. And then, you know, we sell a little beer over in Columbus and that's it. And it's been that way for years. Right. And it's not because people haven't asked us to go other places. Yeah. Right. It's just like, what's, what's the point? Well, I mean, we started this, my partner, Rick, and I don't know if you've ever met Rick, but uh, yeah, I've met Rick once or twice. Have you? Okay. Yeah. Uh, my partner, Rick and I opened up old nation. And uh, it was an investment because I said, you know, okay, well, the thing that I've seen, you're going to think this is hilarious, probably. The thing that I've seen is, you know, breweries that are geared for 2,000 barrels or 4,000 or whatever, that uh, obviously there was more to it than this, but um, that are geared to that smaller size may do something that really catches on. And their inability to match the pace of demand makes it almost worse than if they had never done anything at all, right? Yep. So I would like to get this brewery up to 10,000 barrels. It is more expensive, uh, but a worthy cost to just open up a brewery that can do that right off the bat. Right. It's not exponentially more, though. It's not exponentially more by any means. Incrementally more. Right. Right. It's in, yeah. Yeah. In a way that, let's say, a 10,000 barrel brewery is not 10 times more expensive than a 1,000 barrel brewery. Right. right. Um, it may be six. Uh, but Maybe uh, as a, yeah, maybe three, um, depending on how you build it. Uh, but you know, and all the the problems of building this, and 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 ways that we kind of you know had fits and starts on the way up. This is the first time I had done this. I hadn't built a brewery from scratch with money that I would owe before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and 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 had some sort of a goal in terms of technology and in terms of how I wanted the brewers to operate and all that kind of stuff. And so. Um, so we opened this brewery and, and we had a, a fair amount of debt. We bought the building that we were in um, and the property that it sits on and all the equipment. And there was a lot of debt. And so that pressure was enormous, right, um, to do something that worked, right? We weren't going to be able to scrape by with the pub working and just selling in Lansing, right? We had to, um, we had to do something to, to capitalize on the entire state. And then probably go outside of the state in order to make enough beer to pay down this debt in the really aggressive way that we were set up to pay it. And, um, you know, keeping a clear, more or less clear mind um, and present, uh, preventing myself and the people around me from becoming desperate um, was a big, big, big part of the workload that I had um, as we were growing. And also not to become overambitious when we had, you know, M43 start working yeah. and saying, man, no, I know the distributor is asking us to make 10,000 cases of this right now. And if we do that, we're fucked, right? Yeah. Um, because what they'll do is they'll stack it, stack them high and let them fly, which is what they're wired to do. God bless them. Um, and it'll, it won't be important to the people that want to buy it anymore. We have to string it out um, in a context where, you know, everybody was knocking on our door to, to pay up. Um and I think that's the kind of thing that people, it reminds me of a poem that you and I have, have shared uh, with each other many, many times uh, by a great mind um, who I think we, we, we both know and respect a great deal, uh, Oscar Gamble, uh, who said, uh, roses are red, 
violets are blue. They don't think it'd be like it is, but it do. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you go with that for a minute, but I was like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> yeah, but um, it, yeah. Josh, you know, loves that, by the way, Josh, our head brewer, uh, loves loves that saying. Uh, by the way. Because it's the, it's one of the most cosmically accurate sayings that has ever been uttered by man. Period. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting uh, as a brewer uh, in in relation to debt. Right. Yeah. Um, because the people that I have found, well, first of all, I counsel people all the time, you know, when I, when I talk to them about opening a brewery, it's like, you know, cause they all think they want to do it without debt. And I was like, well, that, that's just stupid. You can't. Well, you might be able to, it's going to take, I don't, most know, how, I don't know how deep your pockets are, but it's stupid. Right. right? Because. The nature of banks, and I and I know this for a multitude of reasons. One, because I've been in this industry long enough, I've seen it happen. And two, my, my father worked for a bank. And so I've heard him talk about it all the time. And, you know, when banks make a loan, you know, it's just like going to Vegas and putting it on. 100%. Now, they, they try to do some due diligence and try to figure out, you know, what's the likelihood of you succeeding versus what's the likelihood of you not. And, you know, they're trying to not make bad gambles, but it, it's a gamble at the end of the day. Yeah. So when they make a bet, just like a guy in Vegas, right? If the bet craps out, they typically don't walk away from the table. They typically will double down, yep. take another spin, and see if they can make it back, right? Yeah. So if you open up without debt, without a bank as your business partner, you don't have that insurance policy. Because if you get to the point where you've run out of your own money, no bank is gonna bet on you. Right, never. nope, never again. Right, so you gotta get them in on the front end, right? Yep. So that's not bad. It's funny, when we were opening this place, uh, first of all, you know, uh, Dayton's a Rust Belt town. I don't think that's going to surprise any of your listeners. Uh, nope. It's old manufacturing town. A lot of that's left. You know, when we were moving in here in 2013 or so, 2012, 2013, we we're looking at, at all this. A lot of the guys that we were working with as contractors or subcontractors or what have you, uh, you know, they were like, why do you want to do this in Dayton? Right. It's down at the heel. Nobody comes down here. You know, crime. Blah, blah, blah. Isn't it a lot of debt? <laughs> right. And I'm like, okay, dude, I want you to understand something. I'm a brewer. Yeah. I've been working most of my life for something like 12 to $15 an hour. Yep. I got no assets. I got no nothing. Right. If I do this and it craps out, I'm back making 15 bucks and who cares? Yep. What do I got to lose? 100%. Right? And if it hits, boom, I'm riding off into the sunset, made. Yep. Right? So if my downside is the same as if I don't ever do it, why wouldn't I roll the dice? Yeah, yeah. Right? Got nothing, nothing to lose, right? I got nothing to lose here, right? right. And... You know, so go for it, right? And it was, it was, you know, it's really enlightening for people to hear that. The people that are afraid of that, yeah, are the people that have money already, right? Because <laughs> they got something to lose, right? Right. right? 
Well, and, and there, there's also, I think when you come from that kind of perspective and you've been lucky enough to have training uh, or, or learn from and be mentored by folks who, who are good and have been successful, you understand, or I certainly understood that, listen, man, you really don't know what you're capable of until you have no other choice, right? Well, right. And I mean, that's the other thing too. And I think for you <laughs> at this point, you know, because you've done it and for me, because I've, I've done it, uh, you know that when push comes to shove, I'm going to be here 14, 15, 20 hours a day if that if that's what it takes. Now, I hope that's not what it takes. Right. Nobody likes doing that. But, but it will be. It is, I'm going to be here, right? <laughs> right? And, you know, as an example, you know, when we went through uh, the whole big shutdown with COVID back in 2020, right? Uh, and I'm sure that you have your own stories like this, too. Uh, we, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. Nobody did, Right. right. And as this little sidebar, I thought it was funny. There was a bunch of leadership groups around that were sending me mailers like, hey, come to our leadership seminar so you can learn how to deal with this. It's like, what the fuck do you know about? Yeah, you don't fucking know. I know. We used to get that, too, man. It was like Chamber of Commerce. This this has never happened in living memory. Yeah. You think you're going to be able to tell me how to lead my way out of this? I I went to one of those. Yeah, I went to one of those. And it was a bunch of people going, yeah, so who's the person here who knows what's going on? Yeah, nothing. Right. So anyways, uh, that was a little sidebar. So anyways, we, you know, Tapper, everything's closed, right? And we're trying, we're on the fly. And, you know, of course we had to lay everybody off and I I didn't particularly enjoy doing that, but it's like, look, if I, if I lay everybody off, that preserves our cash, maybe that preserves our company so that when we come out the other side of this, these jobs are here to give back to these people. right? Right. So that's the first thing, you know, you always hate doing that, but you, you don't have a choice, right? Don't have a choice. Yeah. So we didn't, you know, we kept some of our key personnel. You know, we were selling beer to go. We basically turned our tap room into a warehouse. Yeah. So we could sell beer out the front door and da 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 da. So in the brewery, uh, it was me, it was uh, Fred, and Josh. Uh, Fred was our former head brewer. He left to go be an engineer, and he should because he makes a lot more money doing that. Hundred percent. And Josh was our packaging manager at the time. He's now our head brewer. So the three of us were the three people. So normally we have, you know, six, seven people that work in the plant to do brewing and cellar work and packaging and the whole thing. Now we have three. Right. Right. Yep. And you ran that plant, the three of us, for like three months. It's long days. By ourselves. Right. And for me, I mean, it was hard enough for Fred and Josh. Right. But for me, it's like I'd come in, we'd get to work 7 30, 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'm working as a brewer for 10, 12 hours a day. And then I would get off work and I'd put another three or four hours in as the managing member of the company yep. on my computer, looking at the spreadsheets, looking at, you know, how are we doing? How's the finance doing? How's this, you know? And Nick was the same way, you know, with the sales team. And uh, it was just like, dude, it was, I mean, it was exhausting. Right. And it was, it was crazy to, you know, watch the news and listen to people and people that you knew in the community. They're like, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm working for home now and I'm just in my sweatpants all day. Yeah. Right. And it's like, this is not my reality. Yes. Right. 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 I I am starting now than ever. I am starting to drink liquor just to shut off my brain. That's what's happening to me. Yeah. Um, well, but we, you know, our experience through the pandemic was lucky in that we had a kind of a staple flagship brand 
that was distributed already in, in chain stores. It was largely distributed yeah. in, in, through chains. And so for us, we had a dip in April uh, that was a bummer, right, from losing the tap room. But the tap room for us is, you know, 10, 10%, 12% yeah. of our revenue. Um, and the the and, and by the way, 35% of our business was on premise too. So we lost that right out of the yes. gate as well. Yeah, that was 40, um, 40 for us, and it was just gone. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh what happened was people started buying beer at Meyer uh more than they used to, and by the end of May, we were pretty much back up to where we were. Yeah, um, so our, our curve was sort of well, volumetrically, we we haven't gotten back to where we were uh really until like this year because yeah. of the draft business. Right? right. And you're, you're a bigger brewery uh, in terms of volume. And so that means you have more beer going through those chain stores. I mean, we saw a similar thing because most of our core beers are in the Kroger network and Meyer and a few other places. So we saw a lift of like, you know, 30, 35% on that. Right. But it yep. didn't, didn't fully offset the loss of the tap room and our on-premise draft beer sales right yeah. uh and so you know really right out of the gate like the first two weeks because you got to remember uh i'm in dayton we got university of dayton the flyer men's basketball team was ranked like number three in the country going into that pandemic right we make a beer called flyer red and we're like, oh, my God, we were so ready to cash in on this NCAA tournament run. These guys were going to go on. Right. Yeah. And boom, the whole thing is shut off. Yep. Right. So I've got all this beer that we'd prepped up in the tank. Right. That now it's like, oh, where is this going to go? Oh. And so for the first two weeks, we didn't really do anything. We were doing maintenance. We were that was actually not too bad. Right. But then we started to realize, oh, look, we're seeing this increase in sales at the chain stores for the same reasons that you were citing. And uh, then it was like, oh, my God, you know, we got to get on it. And, you know, it just it went from like zero to 100 like yep. this. Yep. Um, you know, it, it was nuts. We were also the state of Ohio. Well, first of all, the state of Ohio lets us self-distribute, which we do part of our territory self-distributed. Um, but the state also uh issued a ruling the ohio department of Liquor control that said uh home delivery direct sales to consumers at their homes was allowable and so we were we were like the milkman right people would send in orders to the brewery you had to have your order in by five o'clock the previous day and then we would deliver it the next day right so everybody finance team sales team production team everybody that was still on the clock right right you know, you'd work your shift and then whatever neighborhood you live in on the way home, you would take the beer with you and Jeez. drop it off at people's houses. Right. Jeez, that was Jeez. crazy. Right. Wow. It, it, it was fun. Kind of. I'm glad I don't have to do it still. But, right. Well, right. I mean, we have uh, you know that that Camilla runs the, the pub here. Yeah. Um, and the dynamic in our relationship is much better if I don't have anything to do with it. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> um, I know that you can. I know that you know what that's like. Yeah. And um, so, uh, you know, this was an exception in that we we had to kind of shift the dynamic a little bit. And I didn't want to lay anybody off. Right. Right. Um, as you didn't. And, and no one with a, no one with a heart did. <laughs> but um, we had to find a way to try and not do that. 
one of the great things about living and working in a small community like Williamson, <clears throat> which is also, if I'm being completely honest, uh, about half and half extraordinarily well-to-do folks who mm -hmm. are working at the state or the university or commuting into Detroit, right, from this idyllic bedroom community that is Williamson, um, or rural poverty. That's pretty much what Williamson is. Um, and Camilla, to her credit, really, um, you know, I help, helped with some of this, but Camilla spearheaded um, initiatives that we've been running for, for years before the pandemic, where we were in one way or another funneling money from the folks that, uh, you know, had it to the folks that didn't through weekend survival kits for kids and any number of other community initiatives. Um, and so we were well known in the community and, um, respected, I think, for, for those reasons and others. I mean, I coach baseball. I know you coach basketball. Um, and uh, so what happened was we said to the community, essentially, and by the community, I mean kind of the Lansing community. And so, um, you know, we had said to the community, look, we're open for curbside. These are the rules. These are the reduced hours. We hope you'll come out and see us. And we're absolutely stunned at the amount of people who, who did that, right? And who would even travel in from Detroit or Grand Rapids to buy beer that they could buy at Meyer near their house anytime, right. um, just in order to support a brewery that they liked. Yep. Um, and we saw we saw some of that, and I think a lot of the other Dayton guys did too. And I think because of, because of people doing that, that's why most of them made it through. Right, right, right. It was a big deal. I mean, and for us, you know, I'd have been happy as, and it's, I don't make it a secret. I mean, I, I, the pub is for Camilla, right? If it was up to me, I would Willy Wonka this shit tomorrow, right? Uh, <laughs> um, you got a little wilder in you, I think. Yeah, it is 10% of the revenue and 80% of the ass ache, right? The restaurant. Yeah. Um, but it's good. It, it is good. And it does allow us to touch the community. And that is something that I want to do. And that is something that is important to me. Um, and it's important to Camilla. Because, I mean, look, man, I, I've been doing this job long enough to know that I got, I worked for it, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I got lucky. You know what I mean? We, well, yeah. I mean, but I think that's true. That's true for anybody that is successful in any field, right? Right. There's a certain percentage of it that's just work, right? right? You worked harder or as hard as anybody else. Yeah, that's true. That was trying, right? And then there's a certain part that's like, hey, you got lucky. You were in the right place at the right time. You met the right people. Yep. It helped you get to where you were trying to get to, right? Yep. And anybody that tells you otherwise is lying to you, right? right. I mean, that's just the way the world works. And sometimes right. it works out for you. And sometimes you meet people. That it didn't work out for and it's like they'll tell you their story and it's like there's there's no real difference between me and you nope but then i got lucky and you did you did yep yeah yep i saw i saw the right opportunity and it just happened to be the right one right it wasn't like i saw a new england ipa and i was like ah, now i can see the future it was jesus christ we need to pay our bills will this fucking do it let's find out right yeah yeah <laughs> um, and yeah. it did so you brought up like you brought up trotwood earlier uh which is one of our flagships our two biggest selling beers are uh the trotwood which is a lager beer and gamma bomb which is our west coast ipa mm -hmm. um 
And the Trotwood was interesting because I remember uh, there's there used to be a magazine. I don't know if it's still around, and it's called All About Beer. Do you, is that? Still I remember. Around? Hell yeah. So uh, they they had a beer festival that they were running in Cleveland. Okay. We don't sell beer in Cleveland. I wasn't planning on going to the beer festival, whatever. But they called me up. I don't know how they found me or what how that all worked out. But they were like, hey, look, we're going to run this uh, Q&A panel. And we were looking for some brewers from Ohio to come be on it. And it's going to be you know, public. It's going to be asking the questions. There'll be a moderator or whatever. Would you do it? I'm like, yeah, okay, no problem. I'll come up to Cleveland, hang out, go to the beer festival. That sounds like fun. And I'll be on the panel and whatever. So I'm there and they're going through, there was three of us. Uh, one guy was from Southeast Ohio. One guy was from Cleveland and, and myself from Southwest Ohio. And, uh, you know, a bunch of questions, pretty innocuous really till we get to the end. And the last question was, okay, you know, what's the next big thing in beer going to be? And this is about, this must be like 2015 or something. Sure. Right? And uh, the first two guys sort of are in congruence. They both think that sour beer is the next big thing. It always is. It has been since 2008. Well, right. And so, uh, and like I said earlier, I got no problem with sour beer. No. It gets to me. I'm the last one to respond. And I'm like, well, look, you know, if you're looking for press, right? We were talking about free press earlier. If yeah. you're looking for free press, then, okay, yeah, maybe. Maybe sour beer is the, the next big thing. Right. But if you're looking for sales, right? If you're looking for dollars in your till, which by the way, that's what I'm looking for. It's me, 100%. Right? Then no it's going to be lager beer. Yeah. It's going to be lager beer. And at that time, no craft brewery really. I mean, I think Victory, you know, they were doing a pills, but nobody else was really doing anything. And by the way, at one point, I tried to sell New Holland on the notion of doing, well, not New Holland Company, this guy that was the sales director at New Holland. I was like, we should do a Pilsner. Yeah, I know that guy. Response, I think he slapped me in the face once. Yeah, his response was, no, we're craft brewers. We don't do that. Go right? fuck yourself. So uh, we didn't do it. We got here. And to be honest, you know, I don't know that that my partner, Nick, who ran sales, run sales, really wanted to do it either. Um, yeah, I'll, well, I'll, I'll, so I said lager. I'll, I'll tell you the rest of the story about Trotwood here in a second. So I said lager, and of course, everybody's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Yeah. Right? And like two years later, it's like, everybody's making one. It's like, yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God. You know, but uh, the Trotwood, at one point, uh, my, my partner, Nick, asked me if I would make uh, uh, a Rattler, Right. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So I've never made a Rattler before. So I call my friend Dave Berg up, who is the assistant brewmaster at August Shells, back from my Minnesota days. They make a Rattler all the time. Yeah. So I'm like, dude, what do you guys do? You know, what? Is, he's like, oh, we make a 10p lager beer, yep. and then, you know, whatever, and then we blend in the juice, and then it kind of walked me through it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, great. So we make 10p lager beer. We're running it through the separator and uh and i picked a really weird yeast we use kind of a different yeast and i'm not going to say what it is on the podcast but uh it's different and so it throws a different flavor into the beer it's pretty yeah. unique which by the way is sort of an old school application of technology right because yeah. like, 
Bud and Miller and Coors. And I mean, what really separates those beers from each other? Because it isn't the raw materials. Right. I mean, Bud uses some rice, but Bush is using corn. Right. right? It's technique. It's yeah. technique and it's the it's the yeast strains yeah. that they pick and these things give it a different flavor. So we pick a different yeast, uh, kind of an obscure yeast to use, and it throws throws a different. Anyways, so we're running it off the separator, and like all brewers around the world, we're like, well, we got to sample it, and make sure it tastes okay, right? So we're drinking it off the off the separator, and it's like, holy shit, this is good. Yeah. Right. So I took it in the office, into the sales office, and I'm like, Nick, try this. And he's like, oh, that's good. I'm like, we should just sell that. Right. right? It's like, this is going to be the base beer for the Rattler, but, you know, we'll put the juice in and everything, but we should think about just making and selling that. Yeah, right. And he's like, eh. Yeah. He didn't want it, right? It's going to be hard. So then maybe like a year goes by and he comes to me. It's like, hey, we're buying this uh, 1950s era teardrop trailer that we're going to turn into an event vehicle, right? I'm like, great, that'll be cool. It happened to be built by the Trotwood Trailer Company. It used to be a trailer company that was considered like the vanguard of trailer makers up in Trotwood, which is the suburb of Dayton. And they went out of business, I don't know, late 70s or something. Okay. But the, you know, the, the trailer company was named after the, after the town. And he's like, it's a 1950s trailer. Can you make a 1950s style lager beer? I'll think about it. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to work real hard on that. Go into my recipe book. Oh, here's that lager beer. Yeah. We made the base. Oh, I love when that happens. Let's make this. Right. That's what the the beer is. Right. (laughs) And, uh, and of course we named it, we named the beer after the trailer company, which is named after the town and so on and so forth. But that's what we did. And I mean, it was crazy. We came out with that beer, uh, and we made like 120 barrels. It was supposed to be a one-off. And it literally sold in like 10 minutes. Just gone. Well, I, I'd like to point something out in this regard. Um, the beer is delicious. And I no, love to, to drink it. Uh, but the packaging is absolutely <laughs> fantastic, dude. Yeah. Fantastic. Right? Yeah. What, I mean, what sells beer, right? Right. It should be a foregone conclusion after a while that the beer is good, right? Um, after a while in your career that the beer is good, but God dang, you guys knocked that out of the park with the packaging. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah, thanks. So, you know, and it's all it's all retro, right? I mean, we're not reinventing the wheel here. I mean, it's just I old look, school beer with old school packaging, right? Great, right? Yeah. So it sold out in like 10 minutes. And, you know, Nick's like, hey, man, can, can you make more of that? And it's like, yeah, it's going to take a month. Yep. <laughs> right? yep. So we made more. We made another 120 barrels. That sold out in like 10 minutes. So mm-hmm. we made another, right? And it was just like this. And then it was just like, okay, we just got to start throwing this stuff in. We were just yep. get into the schedule. Forecast without, you know, we were just like, let's put as much in as we can. Just anytime it tanks up and we're making it. And we did that. It took us about six months yep. to catch up to the market. Uh, it was just, it was nuts. Yep. Right. And then I remember like my dad coming in and I mean, we'd have it on tap, but I wouldn't have any cans. Right. Right. Cause they'd be sold out. Right. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Out of the tap. I mean, I didn't have any in the tap room and my dad would want to take it back to, to Michigan. And so I'd be on the phone calling around to our accounts. Do you have any, 
and they just laugh at me. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm the brewmaster. I can't even get it. Right. I mean, it was just nuts. I uh, I remember doing that with M43, man. It yeah. was, it's but it's 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 heady times, right? I mean, it's yeah. like it feels great, right? Yeah, that's like what you look back at. Yeah. Now the the thing with that beer is, you know, probably a year after we did that beer, then everybody else came out with their version of that beer, right? Sure, of course. And it's like, okay, so I had the market to myself for a year, right? Like, okay, now I got to fight all these guys with these bigger marketing budgets. I mean, the beers held its own considering yeah. you know, the size of brewery that we are and the fact that we really have no marketing budget. Um, it's done quite well in the face of like, I got to sell against, I mean, you know, you know, you do the same thing, you know, you're selling against the Sierras and the founders and the bells and the great lakes brewing companies and the victories and all these breweries that are 10, 20, 30 times. I mean, Sierra is like a hundred times bigger than we are. Right. And, uh, you know, you got to hold your own in the same market. Right. right. It's, it's tough, man. It's, it's tough. Uh, you know, for us, it was, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about with New England IPA, which is, you know, thanks to, you know, thanks to having Nate here and the training and education that I got, we were able to crack that nut pretty much right away. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, and we were first in and we ramped up production because we had a brewery that was more or less. Empty. Oh, and, right. First in Michigan. Right. 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 And, and right. just to be clear, I, I mean. I don't think anyone thinks you're saying you're the first one to make it, but you were the first no. one to really yeah. commit to it in Michigan, mm -hmm. which was important because yeah. that's your home market. Yep. And that gave you that sort of control of that segment of that market. Yeah, no. And I appreciate the correction. Absolutely. Uh, in Michigan. Um, and that year where everybody else was kind of casting about and figuring out how to do it. And Bells, for example, developed their iteration, which is official. Um, and I knew one of the things that I knew that that helped us gain the position that we have now is how I would do this beer due to the, the development that we went through with the beer here in Williamston. I knew how I would do this beer if I worked for a large brewery and it would be nothing like I do this beer here. Right. If the sales team came to me and said, <clears throat> listen, try this beer from Trillium or, or wherever. Yeah. Um, we need to make something like this, but it needs to fit into the way that we sell and distribute beer at this moment. We can't, we're not gonna be able to treat it any differently than we treat whatever, Two Hearted or Sierra Pale or whatever. Um, I knew how I would make it. And, the, and, and the, the cost concerns and the efficiency concerns and all the concerns that breweries that size have to deal with, I knew they weren't going to, they would be able to make a really good beer and they would be able to make it cost effectively and they would be able to have it be really shelf stable but they weren't going to be able to make it. They would be able to, but they weren't going to commit to making it as impactful as the product that we were making, right? As intense, as thick. Right. And they weren't going to be able to turn it out quickly either. No, right. Well, and they wouldn't be able to turn it out quickly either. And so when everybody, you know, when Sam Adams, got, you know, a bunch of sales team from Sam Adams walked into my pub and yeah, essentially awesome. said, hey, man, we're going to eat your lunch, Right. Um, we're coming into Southeast Michigan, Detroit area. Um, and, uh, here's our tap handle. It looked exactly like my tap handle. It looked nothing like Samuel Adams. We're going to be putting this, this handle next to your handle everywhere you are, because we have a stronger distributor in Detroit and they did. Um, and we're going to be also, by the way, selling this for much less than you sell it for. Um, so out of, you know, courtesy and respect, we thought we'd come in here and tell you that, right? 
Yeah. So it's like, what, you just, you're just walking in my front door to show me how big your Johnson is. hundred percent. Right. And, and my response to that was you are making a mistake, right? Not by competing with me. That's not a mistake at all. You should, I expect you to do that. And you probably win most times, but you won't now because you are undercutting the value of this beer. And at this moment, the value of this beer in dollars represents something to the people that are drinking it and you're shooting yourself in the foot. I promise. Right. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, that's what happened. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because, uh, you know, in the Wayback Machine, yep. there were two breweries that were really vying for command of the craft segment at the time, right? At a national level. And that was Sam Adams and Pete's Wicked Ale. Right? Pete's. So, I mean, we're, I'm talking mid-90s, yep. right? Both substantially smaller than Sam Adams is today. Yep. Uh, in fact, I don't think if you put them together, they'd be as big as Sam Adams is today. Yeah. But... Um, they were the two brands. They were both being contract brewed at the time. Uh, they were the two that were sort of on a national sort of um, consciousness, right? Yeah. Everybody across the board knew of the brands, at least whether they'd had them or not. And so, uh, you know, Pete Schlossberg, uh, I, I presume I haven't talked to him about, I've, I've met Pete a few times, but I haven't actually had this conversation with him. But from an external perspective, it looked like he decided I am going to reduce my margin in order to reduce my price on the shelf in order to try to grab market share. Absolutely. Right. And he did it and he failed. Yep. Right? Because the consumer response was, well, if the price is cheaper than the beer price down, you yep. must have done something to the quality yep. in order to make it cheaper. Yep. People stop buying them. Yep. In the same vein, well, if Sam's selling theirs for less, it must be because they use inferior ingredients. Right? 100%. 100%. And really, the reality is they're selling it for less because they've got greater efficiencies. Right. In economy of scale. The consumer, right. The consumer doesn't understand that. They don't right. understand the difference between, you know, Old Nation and Sam Adams. To, to them, they're the same. Right. But they're not the same. Right. Not even close. And it's funny to me that Sam Adams made that same miscalculation that Pete's made, you know, 20, 25 years later, having had that experience and, and lived through that. They, they already inherently know that there is some value that people place based on simply the price tag. I mean, is right. the Mercedes Benz really better than a Ford? I don't know. I don't know either. I debate you on that, right? I don't think it's a better car. It's got a more of a cachet in the nameplate, right? right? Right. Because it's imported and it's German and it's whatever. But I don't know that it's a better made car. Right. You get a Ford with all the same leather features and electronics and da 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 da, da right? Right. But it's really better. I, I don't know. You know. Right. You go over to Germany and you see that the Mercedes are everywhere. It's like driving a freaking chorus or something you know what right. I mean? over there it's like whatever right 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 yeah yeah i remember i remember when i was a teenager and i went over there and saw the taxis were mercedes and i was like right. man i'm really in the city now <laughs> right you know so i mean it's just part of it is just like you know there's a there is a cachet that car that in this example the mercedes is more expensive it's more expensive because it was imported from europe exactly right, right. because right. it's better right right, right uh so the same same sort of concept you know but people put a value on that well it must be better look how much yeah. 
it's perceived value. I mean, that's it's 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 pretty well known, and and should have been well known by those guys and and by others who 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 kind of came in and openly said, we are going to wipe the floor with Old Nation on this beer. Yeah. These guys. You well, know, and to me, uh, you know, the whole tenor. I mean, and granted, I you know, you're sort of paraphrasing the experience. So yeah. I'm, I'm going on, you know, your description of the events. Uh, you know, that whole tenor is just so ballsy. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. it's one thing to like, hey, look, you know, to come in and be like, hey, look, we're, we're bringing this product out and just heads up, you know, right. industry sort Courtesy. of. Thing, so, you know, yeah. that we're coming. It's not personal. Right. right. That sort of tenor. That's one thing. Right. Yeah. But right. to be like, I'm going to kick your ass. Right. And then. To not do it, right? Yeah, beautiful. I loved it. <laughs> it's, it's perfect. I yeah. loved it so deeply. Um, and, you know, I mean, look, they could come in and make a decision and, and destroy us at this point. But at that point, um, well, maybe maybe, I think, you know, I, I think there's a, you know, there's a, there's a loyalty. Breweries are sort of like sports teams. They are 100% like sports right? teams. And it's, sometimes it's difficult for people to understand that, look, this is a for-profit business. It's like it's hard to understand that your football team or your baseball team is a for-profit, excuse me, for-profit business. And, you know, you have to make decisions, you know, with that financial perspective in mind. Otherwise, your business isn't going to be around in order to continue to do stuff. Um, and so people, you know, once, they, once they've decided, hey, I'm a fan of this brewery. Once someone's decided, hey, I'm a fan of Old Nation, I am buying their beer, come hell or high water, it doesn't really matter what Sam Adams does or anybody else for that matter. Right. They're not going to be able to separate that customer from your beer, right? Because right. that person is already bought in to whatever it is, the notion that you've put out there about who you are, who your company is, what your beers are about, so on and so forth, right? And same for us, right? Right. So that's why you'll see like breweries come in and buy places, right? right. That's why that happens because they right. understand I can't pry them away. I can't just take it. So I have to reward this guy, let him ride off into the sunset, and then I can have it, right? And that, cool. that's why that happens. It'd be great to be that guy. Um, <laughs> I uh, would I would like, you know, I dream sometimes about going back to the guitar shop and just yeah. selling antique guitars, you know? Well, um, yeah. You know, I dream about, you know, it's funny because I get to run the pilot plant now here. Uh, I, I grew this business to enough to a point to where I've got a good team of guys, you know, that run the plant. And then I get to go do the fun stuff and, and run the pilot. Plant. Right. Uh, I don't know how long I'll, I'll get to do that for, but it's like I spent the last 30 years trying to get back to where I started. Yep. Right. Yep. It, it's it's nuts. Yeah. Well, because that's 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 what you love about the job, right? The rest of it just comes with. Right. That's right. Well, uh, this has been. I told you I would keep this to an hour, and I failed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I could do this all day. A, because you know it's my favorite topic. True. Know, yeah. Beer and in and me. Yeah, that's right. And, and B, I love you, man. I haven't seen you in forever, so it's just good to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, same here, man. Same here. And I, I told John that this was uh, John Cole, who you spoke to, that this was probably what was going to happen. And uh, I'll have to I'll have to give him a little little bump or something to um, to edit this. But I, I am uh, 
we have to continue this conversation outside of this podcast or another conversation. Yeah, um, we might have to do it again so I can actually talk about warped wings. We didn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't want to cut you off, man. I mean, <laughs> no, no, no. All right. Yeah, uh, let's absolutely. Know, do we got to do it again. So. Yeah, let's do it again. Um, and uh, I think you know, like I said, man, this is just meant to be a record for for. Uh, brewers really uh of kind of just the experience that other breweries have gone through because the way the industry is now you don't necessarily get a chance to talk to you know folks like you and 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 whomever else uh who have had uh you know experience and 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 share them and that's what this is meant to be yeah and you know some of these guys i think mitch maybe is sort of on the edge of this there's a couple of guys like matt brandelson i think definitely i mean i feel bad for some of these guys you know I'll, i'll go to a conference and you see them, they're kind of hiding, right? Yeah. They just get inundated, right? They're, they're famous. Yeah. Right? They're famous. Yeah. And, and, uh, Brewer famous. Yeah. But I mean, it even sort of transcends that yeah. and, and uh, they just get it all the time. And, uh, you know, that's, it's hard to deal with, you know, <laughs> I mean, for, for me, you know, most people don't give a shit about me, which is, Perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can just go out in society and and whatever. Nobody cares. Uh, But some of these guys, they can't do it, right? Right. It's tough. It's like, you know, it's not like being in Hollywood, right? Those guys, you know, hey, make a movie. Here's $20 million. Right. Okay, you can sort of cordon yourself off from the rest of society. We're brewers. We don't get paid like that. And all of a sudden, everybody's coming at you. And it's just like, Yeah, I don't want this. No, I didn't ask for this. In fact, I was actually working to not have this. Right, <laughs> exactly. Great, right? Exactly. Well, but, you know, for me, it was, you know, having the opportunity to have met, you know, who we spoke about hours ago, Vackerbauer and, and yeah. Pierre Sellis and Jean-Luc Seiss and, you know, even Dan Rogers and all these folks yourself. Um, I had the opportunity to do that. And I know a lot of young brewers don't necessarily get that opportunity for reasons we've talked about uh, today. Um, and I think it's an opportunity to work with you, right? (laughs) They should be thankful that they get the opportunity to work with you because you are passing part of all that stuff on. Yeah. Yeah. They're part of that lineage. Yeah. Uh, You have to be, and they will be too one day. And that's how it all works. Right. Um, but this is for folks that don't have the opportunity to work with me specifically um to get a little bit of insight and i'm uh i think we i think we covered a lot in the way of insight yeah remember um, if you want to do four or five shots of absolute vodka then you got to eat ice buying first yeah i think that's the takeaway that's the takeaway yeah. that's the take- when you eat boiled and then fried pork knuckle yeah. make sure you drink it with a, a lot of vodka it's a very German thing to do and say. Um, all right, man. Well, uh, I, I I love you. I'm so glad we got to do this. Uh, we'll not be out of touch for years here again uh, would be the goal uh, for yeah. me and my takeaway. Yeah. Um, you're busy, so I know it's hard for you to get up here. I'm busy. It's hard for me to get down there, but phones exist and Zoom exists, and that's what we should do. That's right. Um, so, uh, thanks, man. This is something that I think people will get a lot out of and I hope so. I hope they enjoy it anyways, you know, well, whether or not they enjoy it, maybe they'll have to endure it and just learn. Yeah. <laughs> we'll change to the chair and turn the podcast on. Right, exactly. Just take a couple days. It's fine. You yeah, work out for like an hour. Clockwork orange thing. Yeah. You work out for an hour. You knocked out a third of the podcast. Um, all right, man. So we will, I would love to do this again. And, um, uh you know thanks i i, I think yeah, it's my, my pleasure you know for you <laughs> man oh, thank you yeah. thank you
Thank you. Same here. And uh, we will sign off. And uh, John and I will talk about how to organize this subsequently. But uh, I will uh, I look forward to talking to you again and uh, and putting this out there sometime in the next few weeks, we think. Sounds great. All right, man. See you, John. All right. Later. Bye. Putting your ass on the line, opening a place where, you know, you're responsible for the livelihood of, of um, you know, a handful of people. Um, it's scary uh, to get different perspectives on work, on philosophy toward work, and on the brewing industry specifically. My passion yeah. is to make something that is as perfect as I can make it, no matter what it is. Man, you're super mediocre. Stop being mediocre. You're built to be not mediocre. I, so I got back to St. Louis and we sit in the meeting. I said, okay, guys, what are we going to do with the IPA? And they're like, yeah, we're probably not going to do anything with it. They weren't drinking beer to get out of their family and to get out of their life and get out of their just head. part it, of it. It was part of it. Um, and I think that's what, you know, that is a huge inf- information uh, to me on, on drinking. And so your first job as a brewer is to not give anyone a hangover they didn't have.